Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I am your host, as always, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me is my faithful co-host, Sean Gray. Hello. And alongside my faithful co-host, Sean Gray, is our nearly faithful <laughs> uh, super co-host guest, Nikki Holdenby. Hello, hello. I thought you were going to call me unfaithful then. <laughs> I nearly thought about saying it. <laughs> I thought that's a bit harsh, really, because you, you do turn up every single time you're asked, I so to, to be fair. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think it would be it would be unfair to co- to call you anything less than semi faithful. <laughs> Our co-host with benefits, Nikki Holdenby. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> Were we all faithful to the sport of Formula One over the last three weeks? Did everybody enjoy the triple header? What did you think? Uh, back to yeah. back to back. Good, bad, the ugly. I think it's the. Go ahead, Nicky. <laughs> it got progressively better as it went on, I think, in terms yeah, of the standard true. of the races. But then at the, start, at the start, France seemed like quite... I seem to remember after watching France thinking that it was a good race. But now looking back, it doesn't actually seem like we can remember it that well. So it can't have been that good. Which probably says more about the quality of Monaco and Canada than it does about the quality <laughs> of France. That's true. So we went into Paul Ricard with low expectations on the back of those then, clearly. Yeah. Um, uh, my, my, right. my opinion of it is, is, this, is the, I was going to say Motorhead, but I meant Meatloaf song, like two out of three ain't bad. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got a good Austria, an interesting Austria, and, and an excellent British and, yeah. and, I, and I, I know I'm probably a, a, a four out of ten French. So, yeah, I think we've done all right. I think we've done okay in terms of quality, which is good because, as Nicky rightly pointed out, Monaco and Canada were, um, yeah, we left a little bit to be desired, I think, especially Canada, given how, mm. how much how much everybody seems to sort of enjoy that track generally. So I think you know, we went into the, the triple header with a little bit of a, I don't know, not overly, overly enthusiastic, but I've come out of it feeling feeling brand new. So I guess I guess it works. Let's do more, more triple headers. I guess on that basis. Did anybody, <laughs> did anybody feel burnt out on F one after three races in a row? I I have to say I felt a little bit like um, what I'd like to have done is is really digest where we were after the after Austria. I kind yeah. of felt like already going into. And I think possibly because the three tracks are so so different, there was a bit of me that was kind of like, um, I kind of wanted to take stop after Paul, Paul, Paul Ricard. And then we, we jumped into Austria, which is such a different, it's such an odd little track in terms of everything else in Formula One. And because of the kind of result we had there, I kind of wanted to just sort of take a breath and then go, ah, oh, great. And now we're going to go on to... to the British Grand Prix, which is the sort of super classic track. And then let's see where we are again. And we didn't kind of get that. So I was a bit, okay, that, that was a lot to take in in a short period of time. Um, I don't know if if we looked across the, can- uh, the Canada, <laughs> the calendar, sorry, um, and looked and see whether there were three races where we felt like maybe you could put them back to back 
and you wouldn't get that sort of breathlessness in the race, whether, you know, you did, um, you know, maybe at the start of, of the, the season more, maybe sort of um, three after the Chinese Grand Prix or uh, maybe the, the back end when we're sort of heading towards uh, Russia and Suzuka and stuff like that. Maybe that, that might be a better place right in, in the middle of the season, just when everything, you know, you're trying to work out what the, the halfway mark is in, in, in Formula One and where all the teams sit. Felt like a bit too much, maybe? I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I can see what you're saying, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I think that's probably quite a fair assessment. I, I think because we had such a good British Grand Prix and then we had, you know, not, not necessarily a classic race in Austria, but certainly a lot to talk about with the, the Mercedes double retirements and stuff like that. <laughs> There's been a lot going on, and I, I agree what you mean. What you're saying is maybe a little bit difficult to digest it all at once. Paul Ricardo's felt like it's been forgotten very, very quickly because mm. of how much has gone on in the other two. You know, um, like. And then, can you imagine what if that race had been like spectacular? You know, that's a. It's a lot, but you you gets lost in the mix, doesn't it? Of of, of everything yeah. else. I mean, just going from my own perspective, we sit here and discuss it. I, I'm struggling to really remember what happened to Paul Ricard, and it's possibly because not a lot did happen. But, you know, I'm going through the results and going, oh, yeah, of course, so Vettel tangled first corner, had to fight his way back through the field. That that was really about it, you know, but mm-hmm. it's kind of already erased from mind because, like you say, when banger in Austria, banger in, in, in Great Britain. At the time, I was enjoying it. Yeah, thinking, great, another F1 race, great, another F1 race every Sunday. And now looking back, now that I have to sort of analyse what's happened, I'm thinking, okay, now, yeah, there's too much. Yeah. That would be my sort of perspective from it. Great in the moment, and then in hindsight, probably too much of a good thing sort of thing. Yeah, I think it would work better towards the end of the season. It doesn't really mm. make much sense putting it right in the middle. No, I think I agree with that as well. completely changed, hasn't it? Well, not completely, but it has changed quite a bit because... Absolutely it's flip flopping all over the place, isn't it? You know, yeah. depending on the result, yeah. it's changing race to race, which is what it should do. That's what we want for an exciting championship. But Definitely. it is a little bit difficult to, when you're, you know, your, your job is to sit and look at it and analyze what's happening and think, oh, what's going on here. Uh, but that would be more exciting at the end of the season, wouldn't it? Yeah, and especially given the sort of engine situation and stuff. Yeah, like they don't, you know, they they they're having to pack up and move so quick. It'd be interesting, you know, they'd probably take a lot more time to, to diagnose stuff and uh, and really see what's going on. But having to just get straight into the circuit and kind of get going would be kind of more interesting, I think, at the end of the season. Uh, America, Brazil and Mexico. That'd be great. That would be perfect, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Immediately we've solved it right away there. Well done, Nicky. <laughs> I think as soon as you said Why that. Am I working for Nicky. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've said that more than once as well. To be fair. That was sad, but five minutes in it should have oh, resolved it, lads. It's done, it's over. <laughs> what is Chase Carey actually doing with his days? Uh, I think he just spends his time printing his moustache, really. That's pretty, <laughs> really looks like it requires a large amount of sort of... They probably have to like pull Adrian Newey off of a project to get him to sort of style it into the most sort of aerodynamically uh, appropriate <laughs> moustache that there is. Um, it's a little known fact that Chase Carey can actually run upside down of the tunnel in Monaco uh, due to his moustache alone <laughs> the downforce that it produces uh, <laughs> so, so where are we? yeah where are yeah. we after three back-to-back Grand Prix? I'll tell you where we are Sebastian Vettel's top of the championship that's where we are happy days 
uh, I think, and, and it was very interesting. It was such a, I think that swing in the championship um, and um, the other shifts in sort of positions around um, where people are sitting has really thrown the cat amongst the pigeons in, in a lot of ways. Um, you now look at the sort of top six, um, maybe top five, possibly, um, but you know you've got the, the the two at the front really dicing it out. But then there's Raikkonen on 116, Ricardo on 106, Bottas on 104, and then Max Verstappen, you know, a little way back on 93, but um, was nowhere really before the 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 sort of flyaway really. And then had um, he's had the excellent results. I mean, Silverstone and accepted, but I think he was yeah. podium and then a victory, wasn't he, for in, in Paul Ricard and. Um... Austria so kind of pulled himself back into it I think it's 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 made it really really interesting to to see how the fortunes of the teams changed sort of weekend to weekend going from sort of France through well let, let's do it that way then guys let's let's take a look so if we start with with Paul Ricard uh let's start with who the the team that that won that race the start of the triple header going in with the most momentum Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes, um, as we as we sort of talked about, Vettel tagging Bottas, but back of the grid, five second penalty on his stop. Um, it was the time to sort of make hay. Uh, it was one of the one of the races where they got the um, dinner tread tire, which suits how mm. their car um, works with. So, tons of optimism going in, you know, coming out of that race. Um, and even you know even Valtteri in seventh was a you know a decent drive although it makes you wonder why he couldn't get sixth from Magnussen in the Haas you know th- there's a there's a question mark in my mind why that there is why there is a place gap between him and Vettel yeah true yeah they both had to come through the field haven't they um, I know Valtteri might have had a bit more floor damage but still it, it's still sort of interesting so. So, looking back at that race, it was it was pretty easy for Lewis out front, really, wasn't it? He just sort of drove away with it and never looked back. Yeah, I mean, when the two guys fighting behind him um, are are the Red Bulls and Kimi, I don't think the Red Bulls would have had the raw pace to challenge, and and Kimi's just not challenging for race wins anymore, is he? So, as soon as Seb went down the field, it was. You know, it was it was the Mercedes of old drive. It was manage the gap, manage the engine, manage the tires, coast to victory by, you know, just enough in hand that you needed, which was a shame from a, you know a neutral point of view of wanting to see a, a good Grand Prix. But as you rightly pointed out, <laughs> coming out of France, um, Mercedes's morale couldn't have been higher. <clears throat> Which I guess then makes it, you know, when you look at then what happened in Austria and taking apart the, the, the failure from that, Lewis on the radio, that whole race, you know, just. Well, I mean, it starts with the, the error of not to, not to pit under the safety car, doesn't it? Forget the fact that the, the mechanicals brought both the Mercedes out of the race. If, if, if Lewis 
if Lewis's car doesn't break down, he, he still doesn't win that race, does he? And that was down to team error. So I guess that's the, you know, the big talking point, possibly more than the, the mechanical failure, although that's a big talking point in itself, given how bulletproof the Mercedes has been for the last several years. But the, you know, the big story that everybody was talking about was Mercedes of, you know, self-harmed again on strategy to the point where they had to apologize to Lewis on the radio. What did you make of that? What did you make of um, the engineer coming out and saying it was my fault and it's very sorry and stuff like that? Do you think they were just trying to appease Lewis, who was whining away in the car, or do you think it was necessary? Well, Lewis was in one of those moods on that day, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> he certainly was, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because how many times have Mercedes made a mistake when there's been a virtual safety car? Seems to be happening an awful lot, doesn't it? Way back in Monaco when Lewis lost that victory in 2015, that was the first time, and it seems like they've never got it right since Austria, they, uh, Australia earlier this year. They never seem to pit. They seem to always edge on the side of not pitting, and, and, and every single time everybody else pits, <laughs> and it's the right thing to do is to stop, you know. Um, yeah, so you, you mean to forget the mechanical, he'd lost that race, hadn't he? I mean, I think mm. he came out in fourth. Had He had... Um, he had rubber on his on his wagon, had fresh rubber down. He probably could have pushed on and maybe got a podium. But I think the race was gone at that point. I don't think Max would have been would have been caught. Um, even if the even if the Merck hadn't broke down. So yeah, it's, it's like Mickey rightly points out, again, not for the first time. I've just caught napping a little, which is weird for a team that's won so many world championships, you know. I think they avoided some um, awkward headlines by having both of their cars returning. Yep. It, yeah, it, it, it helped them brush it under the carpet. That's mm. I think that's certainly. And credit to Max out front, who you know did exactly what he had to do, kept himself out of trouble. <laughs> Pretty much the polar opposite of what he's done for the rest of the season up yes, to this true. point. So fair play to Max. He. You know, he took advantage of the situation that was presented to him and, and, and was pretty much uh, pretty much faultless. Um, it reminded me a lot of his first victory when Kimi was hunting him down in that one as well. Of course, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Quite similar. And Vettel, who got the... Was it Austria who got the grid, the grid place penalty? Or was that... Uh, was that oh. uh, Britain? Start, see, they're all starting to meld together now in my head. Why was Vettel out of position in Austria? That's the question. Um, yeah, he got a three-place grid penalty. Yeah, that was it. Austria. Was that Austria? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Honestly, see, it's genuinely all molded into one in my oh, head. Yeah. It's like things he like got that, in the yeah. way of Carlos Sainz, didn't he? See, for, for a second there, I was like, was that Britain? Was that Austria? I can't remember. But yeah, so, I mean, so he's out of position. So he gets a grid drop from qualifying. And if he, you gave him at the start of the race, you're going to finish third, and the only two guys in front of you are going to be your teammate and Max Verstappen, he'd have bit your hand off for that, given you know, Lewis was sitting plumb on pole position. So I mean, a great result for Ferrari that they couldn't possibly have expected, uh, given the situation going into the race. So they've, they've, they've come up trumps there. I think, uh, just to go back, sorry, because I didn't, kind of, didn't say anything about it, because it was kind of cogitating on it. The, the self-evisceration the seppuku of the Mercedes strategy guy on the radio was the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in Formula One. To watch a professional in a Formula One team eviscerate himself live on the radio to appease the uh, 
behavior of a driver I thought was horrendous like utterly utterly ridiculous to pander to Lewis Hamilton's uh, whatever side of him you want to call that that requires it not to be his fault when things go wrong was gross utterly gross uh and I felt incredibly sorry for the guy who's no doubt for the last five years uh, given Lewis Hamilton's wins with his strategy calls. I think it's just gross, really gross. I felt really strongly about it at the time. I don't know. I don't know if anybody caught the bits and pieces I was saying about it online, but it just... Can you Can you imagine anybody at Ferrari doing that? Like anybody no. at Ferrari throwing themselves under the bus just to keep Sebastian happy. Not that I feel like Sebastian needs that either. Um, I don't think, it, you know. Or Max. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? Like, can you imagine anybody at Red Bull throwing themselves in the, under the bus just to try and make Max a little bit happy? It's just not going to happen, isn't it? Like, that, all the other drivers um, know that they are part of the team do you know what i mean and that they will make mistakes that cost the team as yeah. much as as anything else and it really does seem that lewis hamilton is the only person that can never be blamed for anything going wrong with his race interestingly do you think if lewis had uh locks a break into the first corner one day and, and slams into the side of someone loses his front wing does he get in the message on the next lap and say sorry guys i've lost that race for us <laughs> does he does he do that Probably would say sorry if it was his fault on the radio. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't imagine another team being so quite so, I don't know, just cringy as, as the way the Mercedes guys were. It was just a bit sort of like, yeah, I mean, I, I generally do kind of agree with what you're saying. I can't see Ferrari doing it. I can't see pretty much any other team doing it, really. I think if anything like that went on, it wouldn't be done so publicly. It's a very odd thing to do publicly, isn't it? Yes, on the on the world feed. <laughs> yeah. To... Like, oh, we didn't realise that was going to be broadcast. It was obviously going to be broadcast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but as you say, you know, helped out by the fact that it was double retirement and probably saved... Save people well, it, talking it, about it as much. It, so. it rather did, didn't it? It, it, it kind of. Um, the only thing that it did was at the end of the race, <laughs> at the end of that race, there was possibly the, the only thing that has saved Lewis Hamilton in my eyes, uh, which was that he was getting interviewed by um, uh, Natalie Pinkham in the cool down area. Did, did either of you see this? Oh, yeah, I did see yeah. this. Oh, that was, that was tremendous. I've wanted somebody to do that to Natalie Pinkham for such a long time. And when she said, you know, oh, a double retirement, that doesn't usually happen to Mercedes, does it? No. <laughs> Sorry, I can't say anything because you're saying really obvious things. What do you want me to say? Do you know, I just want to know how you feel. And it's just like, what? <laughs> and just the, the look of sheer uncomprehension on his face. <laughs> the fact he was being asked such stupid inane questions by somebody in the in the F1 media paddock and it's not like he can't possibly be be asked more you know 
I'm sure he gets asked lots of inane questions at the end of a race that he feels like it's a it's a bore to answer, but he still manages to answer them without literally taking the mick out of the person asking him the question. So uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton gets a, a stay of execution <laughs> on, on that one. Uh, and then Mercedes at the British Grand Prix. Uh, well, again, another mixed bag of a race, really, for them. Was Brit- was Britain the last one with the the new tyres, or the the thin tyres? I, I guess we should call them. I bow to your specialist knowledge on that particular subject. I'm not sure. My feeling is that it was that that was the last one that they were scheduled to. They were scheduled. I don't know. They might be saying that they'll bring it to other ones in the future. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if it maybe turns up at, at, at possibly Spa or Monza, maybe or so, or um, maybe even Japan. But um, it was the last one that that had the special tire, um, and then maybe a bit like Austria, that the weather conditions I think turned it away from um, Mercedes uh, being able to make the use of you know how that tire was going to respond to their car. I think it was so hot um, that pretty much um, it, it brought the the Ferraris sort of back into uh, what was going on. Whereas in, in Austria, when it was hot, the, all the tires were blistering apart from, um, I was trying to think there was somebody, somebody sent a, there was a picture on Twitter about it from, from Austria showing all the different tires, all the blisters. And I think it was only Max Verstappen who literally had no, no blisters on his tires whatsoever. Uh, But we didn't get that in, in, in Britain with the same or possibly even hotter heat and, what was supposed to be more and more, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It makes the tires degrade more. Do you know what I mean? The surface of the track is was clearly, you know, thought to be more aggressive to cause blistering, uh, and we didn't get it. But I think that the the temperature in the track brought Ferrari so close into, um, you know, the Mercedes performance on those tires that it completely caught them by surprise and regardless of what happens in the first corner um it didn't really look like the mercedes was going to challenge the ferrari on the race day certainly um and i think if if we hadn't have had the safety cars um then i don't think lewis hamilton would have seen the back of sebastian vettel's ferrari for uh, the entire race that was certainly the impression I got as well. The Ferrari does seem to handle the the heat really well. I've noticed this season. Whenever the whenever the temperatures are are, are sky high, it does seem to, to you know to go well. Um, and I just think that that Ferrari is just damn quick this year. Um, a few of the drivers have said that um, there's an argument to be said now that is the Ferrari engine now better than than the Mercedes engine. Which I don't think anybody really probably expected this season, but you know it's beginning to look that way. So I think the best um, way of looking at that is looking at the other teams who have Ferrari engines, like Haas, and how much mm. they've improved this year, and Sauber, yep. and, and Sauber, whereas Boss yep. India and um, Williams have just kind of stayed the same and lost yep. positions, or, or stagnated, yeah, or gone backwards, yeah, yeah absolutely. So it does look like Ferrari have made significant gains with the engine, and I think, I think Andrew's right. And the heat did certainly play into their hands and helped them 
possibly get the best out of their car. Lewis still managed to put it on pole, though. So, you know, it wasn't like it was going to be easy for Ferrari, but Vettel's, Vettel's jump off the line. He was past Lewis and, like, was it basically before the first corner, wasn't he? He was already more or less clean through. And then, obviously, the, the, the uh, tangle with, with Kimi. Do we, do we need to talk about how Mercedes handled that as well? Poorly. <laughs> Beyond, really. I, I felt... I've, I'm amazed that, that um, I'm amazed that they were not called out more by um, everyone in the F1 media. And I, I feel genuinely, again, I feel a little bit let down that nobody sat there and went, you're calling them a cheat. Don't, you know, don't say, oh, well, you know, when I say maybe it was a mistake, maybe it wasn't that I'm not suggesting it was a cheat. Do you know what I mean? Some people needed to call them out on that and say, do you really believe that Ferrari um, told Kimi to drive into Lewis? Uh, and if they say no, then they say, well, then you shouldn't suggest it, you know, and you should publicly apologise to Ferrari for even suggesting it. Um, but almost what annoyed me more was that Lewis, after having suggested multiple times uh, in the cool-down press, press room, uh, or paddock or pit or whatever they call it um, after saying it several times went on Instagram to act like he had been the victim or that people had misconstrued his words or, and he had said dumb S but you notice that he never apologised for it he never actually apologised to Kimi at all or Ferrari he, yeah, just, he just acted said, like oh, he, he said that he accepted Kimi's apology yeah but he didn't apologise back for suggesting that in any way, shape or form, they'd been cheating. And I just think, oh, really? That's just, you know... We've had, that... uh, we've had two Grand Prix here with lots to talk about, Austria, Britain, great racing, and both, both times, Mercedes PR has been, you know, a, quite a hot topic. It's, they, they're becoming a bit of a, you know, <laughs> a bit of a PR disaster, to be honest. And I can see a common denominator, and it's the guy driving the car. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, you can almost you can almost give Lewis a small pass for saying, "Well, it was after the race, heated, all the other bits and pieces." Yep. But it means you can't forgive Total Wolf for it at all, because he he spent lots of time sitting there looking at him for for one team principal to to malign another team. By yep. suggesting that they would tell their driver to deliberately crash, you know, Flavio Berrettori has not been in the sport for a very long time. We we should move away from the concept that, you know, people tell drivers to deliberately crash. It's just it doesn't happen often enough for that to be anything that a reasonable adult, professionally employed in Formula One, should suggest of any other team. Um, it just feels a bit like oh they're not winning at the moment so they're chucking their toys at the pram you know like they don't come out of it looking good they come out looking a bit like the spoiled spoiled kid who's used to getting his own way and that isn't that's that, I mean that's my perception of it I think it's worse in some ways that some of the comments came from James Allison who used to work at Ferrari yeah <laughs> what did he say exactly um well Toto Wolf said that. James Allison said that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. It was all a bit of he said, she said, wasn't it? Oh, he said, he said in this. Issue. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember what the exact quote was. 
As for the incident itself, uh, fair punishment, racing incident, first corner, all that sort of thing, all the usual well, question marks. What do you reckon? Yeah, I had a big, I had a big discussion with somebody about this. Um, it was very nice about it, um, and actually, the, in the end, we, we came together on a quite, what was quite a good way of, of breaking these sort of things down. The the the, the contention comes, isn't it, in that. Um, Vettel did the same thing and got a five-second penalty, and Kimi got a ten-second penalty. Um, and I think we break it down by saying, in the Vettel incident, he sustained damage and went to the back of the grid along with Bottas. In the Kimi incident, um, they um, Kimi didn't lose out, uh, and obviously Lewis very much did. Or Kimi didn't lose that anywhere near as significantly as 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 Lewis did. So there had been that little sort of directive from Charlie Whiting a couple of weeks, a couple of race, sorry, a couple of races before, where he said that the stewards were going to be looking to take the um, consequences of an incident into the penalty. And I think this was a case of that: that if you hit somebody and you both go to the back of the grid. Okay, if it was your fault for the incident, you get a penalty, but it's not going to be as harsh as if you hit somebody and then carry on merrily whilst they go to the back of the grid. You should get penalised more because you haven't been, incon- you know, it's you haven't really been inconvenienced by the same in, in, in the same way of the same incident. Um, and I'm actually kind of happy enough with that. It may feel in some way that the the decision is inconsistent, um, but what what the the sort of guy and I ended up sort of coming up to with. Um, is that what they should do is say that there is a base penalty, a five-second penalty, and then there is a five-second penalty for the consequences of the action. And then if you break it down that way, it actually becomes very obvious and instantly obvious to the racing public why Kimi gets a 10-second penalty and Vettel gets a five-second penalty. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not... And it's not difficult to do, is it? You just say, okay, it's a it's a five second penalty if you uh, if we deem that you know you have caused a collision, if you significantly impair the race of the other person whilst not um, sustaining significant loss yourself, you get five seconds. If you take that person out of the race, then it's another ten seconds, so you end up with a fifteen penalty, or it goes to a drive through, or what whatever your whatever you feel is the 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 harder the, the next harsh level punishment up and then you build it up that way so you know you could get a drive through plus a five second penalty so you get the drive through for taking somebody out of the race and then you get the five second penalty to stop for causing the incident in the first place but if you if you if you build it up like that with sets of penalties you you make the steward's decision more decipherable immediately and you don't have to wait for three hours after the race whilst somebody types up the FIA press briefing thing about why this happened um which ultimately half the time is done in techno ju- jargon that people don't really understand do you remember when um ricardo got penalized for um going too fast under the vsc but the yeah, way that they <laughs> yeah like the wording made it sound like he hadn't reached the delta but it was that it was the other way around that he'd he'd reached the delta too fast but the way it was worded was just ridiculous but it is it should have been easier for them to say the driver was going too fast under the vsc uh contravening this rule and if you want to give the technical regulation afterwards then do but break it down nice and simply do you know what i mean um 
as for that penalty, I think I think in both cases they were the right penalty. Uh, both drivers got penalised for the incident in a way that I think reflected what happened to their races uh, in both cases. I couldn't agree with anything. I couldn't couldn't agree. Couldn't disagree with anything you said. It sounds about. It sounds fair. Yeah, I think um, you know a, a clear set hierarchy of penalties is you know why wouldn't you have that? You know, it seems absolutely logical and sensible. So. I'm on board. I thought the penalty for Kimmy was probably probably about fair. Yeah. But as a Ferrari fan, I didn't have any, you know, complaints with that. But equally, you know, I'm I'm happy that Lewis went to the back. So, um, yeah, uh, it was fine. It was a, it was the right it was the right penalty, and I think Kimmy accepted that as well. So let's roll this back then. So we've looked at Mercedes on a high, hit a massive low, and then lose out to Ferrari uh, at Silverstone uh, and essentially capitulate that they probably don't have the best car slash engine on the grid. Ferrari then, we, we go back to, to Paul Ricard. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen third, Sebastian Vettel fifth. It's a terrible start to the triple header for them, realistically. Um, one car behind each of the uh, Red Bulls. Uh, and, you know, in, in constructors-wise, the only, the only positive is really that um, Bottas finished seventh. I'd, as a Ferrari fan, Sean, did you worry oh. that that was going to be the, um, the, the yeah. pattern for the next races? Yeah, certainly, especially when Lewis put it on pole in Austria, and uh, Sebastian had his grid drop. You know, it was it was I was concerned. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we got, you know, we as Ferrari fans, we got lucky in in Austria with a double, the double retirement. Really, that was that was more than could have possibly been hoped for. To take fifth for Vettel to score fifteen points that day from sixth on the grid, and Lewis to take nothing. That that was like that was like an absolute Christmas gift beyond our wildest dreams. So, yeah, Paul Ricard wasn't great, but you know Austria came around so thick and fast, and the double retirement came around so thick and fast that there wasn't a lot of time to sort of dwell on. Oh, this isn't going going very well, is it? You know, before we knew it, Austria had had wrapped up, and we were we were on such a high because of the what looked like being a low. You know, it turned around in Ferrari's favour so quickly and then going into going into Britain you know we, we were served up a, you know an excellent race in, in Britain in which Ferrari showed the, the true sort of you know capabilities of the car and, and managed to to win the race so yeah I didn't have a lot of time to be to dwelling on the poor Paul Ricard result because the races came so quickly and now I'm now I'm feeling really positive about the second half of the season. I think the car's quick. Like Vettel's in top form. Got yeah, full of positivity when it comes to Ferrari at the moment. What What about you, Nicky? What did you? What's the overriding sort of um, picture you you feel about how Ferrari have come out of this triple header? I agree with Sean. I think um, Ferrari are looking strong, but then again, Seb was leading the championship at this time last year. And then it all fell apart, didn't it? But yeah, so long as they keep their head in the second half of the season, then I think it's Ferrari's to they, 
They did really shoot themselves in the foot last year, didn't they? I mean, they there, was some, there was some silliness going on there. I think ultimately, though, I think this car's a lot better than it was last year. I think Vettel was, I think Vettel was boxing maybe a little bit above what the car was capable of last year. And he was in the title fight at halfway, but it was through some, you know, some half-decent results and scraping by. Whereas this year, I think, you know, this car's, this is a proper car this year. So, I'm fingers crossed they don't they don't do what they did last year. <laughs> never say never, but um, yeah, certainly a lot more optimistic than than it would have been with last year's car. I think the proof is on Saturday is about Ferrari's car. They're definitely um, fighting for pole. Yeah, but, and even when Mercedes do get pole, it's a lot closer to Ferrari than it was last year. Absolutely. So maybe. So maybe we've looked at the team that's come up best from the triple header and also looked at the team that's suffered the most. Maybe the third team is the team that surprised us the most coming out of the triple header. Um, A team that we thought were probably not going to get any results really across these three races, Uh, you know, going to Paul Ricard, uh, a, a test circuit, very sort of Barcelona-y, things that's, that really suit the, both the Ferrari and the Mercedes. Austria, never been a happy hunting ground for that particular team, despite them owning the circuit. Uh, and Britain, which ha- has definitely not been uh, a, a favoured stop uh, for our friends at Red Bull. But I'm sitting here looking at this thinking, well, you know, both Max and Daniel, maybe, you know, not perfect weekends um, every single week, but good results across sort of all three races, really, um, l- looking at how it could have gone, um, that at best they could have been looking at fifth and sixth every single race. Um, you know, Max has um, m- maximised haha, <laughs> his, his first two races and then, then sort of, uh, you know, unlucky. Um, in Silverstone, uh, but you know, D- Daniel Ricciardo um, was, you know, I, I understand, you know, I kind of get that um, fourth in in France and then sort of fifth in um, Britain probably doesn't feel like great results. And obviously, the the retirement in Austria when clearly he would have had a car to to get onto the podium is 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 a loss, but. I think overall for the team, they've got to look at it and think, you know, maybe they've they've engineered something back into that car that's going to give them um, a fighting chance should the race conditions not, you know, suit the obvious. If you, if you see what I mean, I and I think the 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 heat at both Austria and, and Great Britain allowed them to come back into it somewhat, um, and they were better at certainly better at uh, poor car than I would have ever given them credit for. Um, I thought I thought they might have been okay at Paul Ricard, just with it being a okay. sort of testy circuit. I thought I thought Red Bull. Um, I don't. I, ultimately, it had you know had it all gone incident free up the top. I think that you know the Ferrari and the Merck would have been ahead of them probably on pace. But you know, I, I, put it this way: of the three races, I would have thought Paul Ricard would be their best their best bet. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you uh, that they have come out looking. Looking half decent, um, certainly getting a win and a second for Max is 
um, like you said, the DNF and so and Silverstone not great, but you know if you you'd you'd you'd, you'd a bit of handoff for that, you know, at the start of the triple header, um, certainly with Max being you know a little bit further behind the other the other top guys going into the into the three races, so yeah, I think certainly reasons to be positive, um, but. They just don't have. They're just caught in no man's land, aren't they? A little bit like they just don't have the pace of the top two guy, top two teams. But they're so far and away ahead of everybody else that there's nothing to worry about. So I think they'll probably pick up a race win here and there, like the Mercedes double DNF. Max was perfectly positioned to take advantage of that, and they will pick up the odd winner of that. But I don't see how they can't. I can't see them getting any, you know, making any serious inroads into the into the you know the top four. I think Kimi and Bottas will ultimately probably both finish ahead of Danny and, and Max in the championships, just because when everything when it's a dull weekend and there's little incident, which which we are going to get, you know, more, quite quite often, they are going to be fifth and sixth. Unfortunately, just on pure pace, as good as as brilliant as a result Austria was, and as solid as the you know results have picked up recently. Nicky, do you do you kind of feel the same on that one? That um, there's no hope for Red Bull. They're, all, they're always there to be a bit of a threat. Like when you look at when races have become two stop races, it's usually Red Bull who come in first and made the race a two stop race. So they, they seem to be threatening, but not like threatening enough in normal circumstances to actually mix with Mercedes and Ferrari. Irritating. Would... Is that the? Yeah. yeah. I would say that the reason that they're driving the two-stop strategies is because they are in that no-man's land. They've got nothing to lose. They got there's no threat from behind, so they might as well throw on a you know another set of, of tires and 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 see what happens and try and you know force them in front to to do something mad and come into a stop and that could cause an error in the stop or something like that. You know, they are that they, they, they are that team where they might as well have there's. You know, there'd be a minute gap behind to to a Renault or a Haas or something. So it's like, well, we might as well come on for the last twenty laps and stick a set of ultras on. And the worst that can happen is that we'll set a few fastest laps and still finish in the exact same position. So, which is good because it changes the race up front sometimes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think you can. Um fault Max and Daniel's driving over the past couple of weeks. Maybe Max is um little off in FP2 in Britain. Mm. Uh, but other than that, they've had two DNFs, but they've both been mechanical. Yeah, I would agree. They've both been good. Max had three podiums in a row, didn't he? In Canada, France and Austria. Including the win. Yeah. yeah. In fact, he, he did a 3-2-1. Quite That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody would. Um, I don't think anybody would uh, would put any any fault. They're getting the best out of, the, out of what they've been given with. I think is, is is pretty clear. And if they don't win or don't finish in the podium, it's because the, the Ferrari and the Mercs are just that little bit too quick. Um, certainly, Max and Danny have nothing to be nothing to be too disappointed about so far. I don't think with their season. It'll be interesting to see what they're given next year. Yep. I hope, well, I hope it's good. <laughs> <laughs> this was this was the funny. This is another funny thing that I thought, I thought came out of of the last race was um uh, or oh, it might have been Austria. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, where uh, Christian Horner basically uh, lambasted Renault again for their straight line speed, 
uh, whilst at the same time Fernando said, uh, actually, the straight line speed was all right. Um, our, our problem was in the corners. Uh, and um, <laughs> Brendan Hartley said, we were struggling for straight line speed all, along all of the straights with the Honda. So <laughs> this is, I, we're still going back to this this concept of going, you know, all right, you can keep on saying that the, the Honda is as good as, as good as the Renault, but it's not really showing it in the races at the moment. And, you know, there's not, uh, there doesn't seem to be this upward trend at all in, in the results that they, they seem to be able to be getting. Um, and, you know, even McLaren who have just said that, um, it's going to take two to 10 years to, to turn everything around, seem to still be able to go out there and race competitively. Uh, whilst the Honda-powered Toro Rosso seems to be meandering away at the back of the midfield in most conditions, in most races, that you know, with only a couple of odd exceptions, I, I I am aware that I cannot possibly know what the Honda Dyno is telling um, Christian Horner and Helmut Marco and and whoever at, at Red Bull that the Honda is the way to go, but it's you know. There's nothing on track that does this show me that this is a really good, this is going to be a really good swap for Renault and that, that uh, for Red Bull, sorry. Uh, and they're magically going to start being right on the back of the, um, the Mercedes. And if it doesn't happen in year one, they've only got one year left. Um, are they going to sign up for a third year if after, you know, the first year things are no better, if not more likely worse? They must see something though, somewhere, somehow, for both of their teams to be Honda powered now. Like that's a big investment in Honda. I mean, the the only thing that it occurs to me is that they just feel they just have absolutely no relationship with Renault now. Yeah. Um, which is just makes you just go, well, there's only one there's only one person whose fault that is realistically. And it's not Renault. It's, do you know what I mean? <laughs> they openly admitted when their engine was not good and they apologised for it all and stuff. It's just that you could have just given them the, you know, you didn't have to give them the, the sort of Fernando Alonso GP2 engine stuff um, whilst you were going along. Um, I, I, It still baffles me. And it still baffles me that you'll go along on the internet and find people willing to argue that the Honda is clearly as good as the Renault and I've I've yet to see it. It's broken down more. It's clearly not, you know, significantly faster than the Renault. And I've yet to see anything that makes me think that it's realistically that, you know, super on top of the Renault's pace. Uh Renault seems to be doing all right in the in the in the championship, don't they? Toro Rosso are thirty points behind McLaren. <laughs> That's pretty um Yeah good is it <laughs> no it isn't it, well and only three points ahead of Sauber as well which is quite surprising actually well it, it goes i think that that definitely shows you how good the ferrari engine is because you know that there's be- been barely any work on that Sauber car do you know what i mean the the hard thing for toro rosso next season is that they that, that Sauber have ferrari's aero guy gone over or one of their their aero team has gone over um to help Sauber out now that that's got to be a worry for Toro Rosso because, um, you know, they're already clearly sticking in a better engine than than is going to be in their car 
by quite a long way. <laughs> They're going to have a guy who's helped design, you know, what's been the probably the best car this season was 50-50, maybe the best car last season. And has that knowledge of, of how all that, that's going to go together at, with the Ferrari engine to help with, with all the guts and bits and pieces. It's got to be scary times for anybody driving a Toro Rosso Honda, hasn't it, <laughs> realistically? There is now no, as as kind of Fernando Alonso pointed out, isn't it? There is, there's almost no, there's no back markers really anymore. There's just a very big midfield um, with Williams tagging along at the very, very end of that. Actually, I would argue, yes. I would argue we're into the back marker. Mark is, yes, that's, that's probably true. Um, uh, we, we, we'll... at, a slightly side point here, but I do miss the day of the traditional back marker, the HRT, the Minardi, yes. the, the proper no-hoper. There was something romantic about them, you know? do miss that little. <laughs> I miss them as a way of people getting onto the Formula 1 grid that, you know... Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo, Daniel Ricciardo drove an HRT, you know? Fernando Alonso drove a Minardi. Good, good Mark Webber, you know, um, uh, Raikkonen and Massa both drove, drove terrible Salbers. It's kind of, you know, it is. It should almost be a rite of passage that you have to, you have to start in a in a bog standard team and then and then prove that you've got something worth worth showing. But I think those days are unfortunately are long gone. Yeah, it's the day of the the academy driver now and the GP two and stuff like that, where you don't, you still see obviously the likes of Leclerc going in at the Sauber, but. Yeah, it's a slightly different feel to it, you know. They go into that Sauber knowing next year it's a Ferrari drive for him, as long as he doesn't put it in the hedge every week, you know. Um, as long as he doesn't Roman Grosje on himself. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, I think he's getting a little bit nostalgic for Minardi there. Moving on. I think it's always worthwhile. Um, the, um, to the Renault Red Bull Honda thing, do you think Renault could be the third best team next year? Uh, it would not surprise me whatsoever. Uh, I, I I do not fancy a Honda powered Red Bull next year. Um, I, I wouldn't surprise me to see um, Renault possibly ahead of them, and maybe even a Haas if they continue to get development from Ferrari, or depending on what McLaren can do, maybe if they can sort their sort themselves out. But this, that to me, this this. This Honda deal for Red Bull could see them anywhere between the third best team and the, down the bottom. You know, it's that that the Honda has shown that little, and you know, not just like what is it, four years since they returned to the sport. So, and it's not just pace; it's reliability as well. But yeah, I'd be quite happy to put a little bet on on Renault finishing ahead of Red Bull next season in the constructors' championship. Hulkenberg might finally get that podium. <laughs> Has he never had a podium? Nope. Hulkenberg, is that is that is he the longest reigning driver without a podium? Is that is that the record? Yeah. Like I mean, you know, most most Grand Prix contested without a podium is Hulkenberg the, and I didn't you know, I didn't realize that was that was his record. <laughs> Poor lad. Hundred and twenty something. That's a pretty good effort, given a guy of his sort of ability. To not be on the podium, <laughs> like you'd almost fluke one by accident, one in a hundred, you know. So onwards from the, the man who can never score a podium, why don't we take a look at the team that seems to be coming closer and closer to uh, being the team most likely to challenge for a podium outside of the top three? The Haas. Yeah, seem to be improving at a vast rate of knots. 
not coincidental with the improved um, improved Ferrari, shall we say? Uh, clearly, that engine is uh, is doing some use there. Good results. All I mean, all was it all three races that they have good results? Did they? Have... Kevin scored in all three. Kevin yeah. scored in all three. And they reached Q. Both drivers reached Q three in all three races. I think. Yeah, that's that a good. Was, uh... Yeah, that's a good benchmark to show how you know how quick the car is on raw pace. So you have to be pleased with that for sure. Any um any sort of does anybody feel like that you can't take to Haas as much as certain other midfield teams because of the Ferrari connection? I've uh, no, funnily enough, um, I, I and I think that a lot of that is um, a lot of that is down to actually the the drivers that they're running at the moment kind of endear me to them a little bit. Yeah, I think um, that's a good point. Yeah, because I have a little soft spot for Roman Grosjean for being the guy who was who was banished from Formula One and then came back. Bless him. <laughs> um, and I I think K Mac has always been good and was incredibly unlucky. And by the look of things now, um, uh, is is proving to everybody that actually there was a good reason why uh, McLaren wanted him on the books in the first place. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of working out that he's able to show it in a way that he wouldn't have been able to if he'd been stuck at McLaren probably uh, during the intervening years. So, um, I think I think what I've come to do is that I'm I look out now for what Magnussen is doing and to some extent what Grosjean is doing, or usually who what barrier Grosjean is crashing into, uh, <laughs> with some interest for Haas and. I think they've kind of handled themselves very well in the paddock, and I, um, I, I like the the um, Gunter Steiner as well. Comes across really well. Um, yeah, I like him too. You know, in all the stuff, he comes across as a guy who just seems genuinely pleased to be doing what he's doing. And there are a few team principals who could probably take a leaf out of that book when having to to deal with them. Um, uh, you know. TV and media interviews. He's good on the um, like when he, when Sky go to him like live on the races and stuff. He always answers. Um, he always answers well. As much as this has obviously been progression for Haas, any concern about Roman Grosjean's uh, sort of form in general? A good result in Austria for sure. Um, fourth place. By far his best result of the season. I think it was his first points of the season, actually. And then another DNF in Britain, uh, having tangled with Carlos Sainz into cops. A wee bit too many bumps and scrapes for Roman. Is his seat in jeopardy, or is it just you know a little run of bad luck and and his you know his his class as a driver should should see him through? What do you think? I think he's got a little bit better <laughs> as the season's gone on. I think last time I was on, we were talking about. Who would who would be who he would be replaced by next year? But I, I feel like his seat is a little bit more safe now. But after Austria, I would have agreed. But then that, that you know that yeah. tangle with Carlos seems to have brought back you know a few of the the negative comments in the press and stuff that I he always if he, um, turning if into a little bit more than Adoy. <laughs> if he doesn't have a DNF for the rest of the year. And he'll be quite safe. <laughs> Chances of that. Are, there's more chance of Nico Hulkenberg scoring a podium than Roman Grosjean <laughs> not having a DNF for the rest of the season. I, I, 
I think what Roman Grosjean is kind of lucking into at the moment is that probably nobody really wants his seat. I don't think Hass are good enough that anybody's going to step down to them expecting to move their career on up. And I think a lot of the main players are happy to stay with the teams that they're in because they're probably in bigger teams. Um, I think the midfield, affiliate... is so Sorry. Yeah. the midfield is so close that it seems like any step from one midfield team to another is just a sideways step at the moment. Yeah, so it's not worth the trouble. Yeah. yeah. Like you're not going to get a, I don't know, just a Perez moving into a Haas or something like that. You know, probably no point. Moving from Force India to Hass, just just as an, as an example, you know. Mm. So yeah, I, I I do agree with you. I think Grosjean will ultimately probably be fine. I just noticed a few small comments post Silverstone about it, you know, because he has had, you know, only one points finish I think all season. As much as it was an excellent fourth, uh, I think it's only one. And my and, and the fact that Magnussen's been so consistent, and you know, as we all know. Teammate puts the pressure on you very quickly in this game. So I agree with what um, what Andrew was saying. There, Magnussen is definitely beginning to show what you know we all thought he would be capable of, and it's good to see because he has that sort of uh, how to describe it. You know, it doesn't necessarily toe the company line um, with his with his comments and stuff. He's quite happy to say how he feels, so is he now and again. So. I like that about him. He's endearing. Yeah, uh, he feels a bit like a bit of an old school kind of racer in that sort, of, in that sort of vein. Um, and, and I think I think you you've both kind of hit the, um, you've um, both kind of hit the nail on the head in that one. Really, that that Grosjean probably isn't living up to what that car can possibly do. But I think I still return to my same point that I don't know. Who, who could go in and uh, unless I think Carlos Sainz was really stuck for a seat, but I don't know um, um, if can I just wonder whether Red Bull would allow him to go to someone like Haas. Um, I think Carlos will be in the Renault next season, and I think they'll all be quite happy with that arrangement. I think Red Bull will be happy to keep him there keep uh, Max and Danny for another year at the very least. And Carlos will be happy there because that Renault's going to probably be better than the Red Bull next season, as we we discussed. And then you've got Renault will be happy because Carlos is a great driver. So I think I think you'll stay there next year and it'll all be every party will consider it a win. You're right. I think I don't I don't really see where who comes in to Grosjean's seat really unless it's someone from out with you know, out with the sport, someone from GP2 or something like that. But yeah, in general, he might be, he might get away with with it for now. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess if we go from Haas, then we, we've kind of transitioned to Renault, um, mm-hmm. who kind of I think have almost anonymously sort of come in and made decent points across all three races and now find themselves fourth in the Constructors' Championship, um, but without necessarily either of their drivers jumping massively high up in the driver's standing, if we, if we kind of look where 
um, sort of people's. I mean, like obviously Nico Hulkenberg is, is is seventh, but he's only two points ahead of Fernando Alonso, and Carlos Sainz is only on twenty eight points, um, only just ahead of um, Esteban Ocon. And we we've kind of said that that Force India haven't exactly been having a great season. Um, is there um, is there any is there signs of life at Renault? Are they improving, or are they just lucking into decent finishes, or are they just consistently ending up in the same place week after week, and that's where they should be or shouldn't be? What are you guys' thoughts on on Renault's position currently? I think the consistent the consistency is uh, helping them a lot. Every race at Holdenburg's finished, he's scored points, and Austria is the only race where Renault haven't scored this year. So I think they've got a good um, baseline. Still not sure they're going to be a championship contending team next year like they wanted to be when they first came back into the sport. But I think they've got a good a good baseline to move forwards from at the moment. And I think Carlos Sainz's seat is probably uh, quite an enviable seat to have in the midfield. I would agree with that. Like If you're someone like Perez or Ocon or... Um, I don't know either of the Williams guys. I think that that Renault seat is probably the only one to outside of the top three teams. The Renault that Renault feels like the team who could go on and challenge the top three more than any of the other midfield teams at the moment. It could change very quickly, of course, but at the moment they feel like the one that's closest to the top three. And as as um, Nicky rightly says, it's it is the consistency more than you know St- Stella. You know, one waste weekend where you go, oh well, that Renault's blindingly quick here, isn't it? It's just it's just a solid week in week out, slow but steady increase in in progression, um, which is possibly what you want more than Haas turning up and grabbing a podium or a fourth, but then DNFing and finishing 14th a week later so yeah I, I think I think it's still reasons to be positive at Renault I think they will continue to progress I think they'll finish fourth in the constructors it's very close in that midfield but I do think they'll finish fourth helped by the fact that they've got two excellent drivers as much as we joke about Hockenberg and his lack of podiums I do think they've both got two very solid pilots at the wheel slow and steady progression not necessarily a bad thing that would be my assessment of the Renault season so far I've kind of felt that they've been making decent strides, actually. I, I think a lot of their cars have, um, have been evolutions onward from the Lotus, which I think was a bad place to start. Um, and I think really now we're only really starting to see them really put together their car with the kind of resources that they'd, um, uh, they'd have, uh, at their disposal and they kind of should should be able to 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 build something good really i think that's um that's definitely the way forward they seem to have gotten a good group of people at Renault as well um i like um i like what they're doing in general um it's it's um vasseur isn't it who's running it at the moment at Renault? isn't it no no, oh, uh, of course it did. Sorry, uh, it's a, a beat ball, isn't it? Sorry, it yeah. I got. I always get those two confused about who I'm supposed to be thinking about. 
I knew who it was there. I just didn't know how to pronounce the name, so I just remained silent. <laughs> but yeah, that's the guy. It's the guy that you said. That's who I'm thinking of in my head anyway. Um, Cyril, isn't it? That's his first name. Yes. Cyril. I'm just going to call him Cyril. I can't. It's <laughs> yeah. from your... Cyril, because I can't seem to pronounce his surname, so we'll just call him Cyril, I think. Yeah, but yeah, he's, yeah he is the guy. Anyway, that's, that's running the show there. I think he's one of the main guys that fell out of Red Bull, is it not, a couple of years ago? Yes. He was heavily involved in that original Red Bull conflict that ultimately saw them re-sign under whatever they've branded the engines these days. But yeah, I think Cyril and uh, and Helmut and Christian were were at, at loggerheads for a while back before Renault came back as a you know as a works team. Um, who lines up next then? We've gone Hass and Renault, and I think that feels about right, doesn't it? It's so After congested in that midfield, isn't it? Really, like any of them beat any of them at any given day. There's a bit of me that feels McLaren really are still next, um, despite um, all the problems. Um, but I think they're having a tough time of it um, from more so probably Sauber than Toro Rosso these days. Um, look, it's, it's Leclerc Alonso is the new... These guys are always seem to be on the same piece of tarmac. And I think that speaks volumes about... Uh, Sauber's progress and Leclerc's talent because essentially he's taking that Sauber, which is obviously quite good, into the same position where Alonso, who is taking that McLaren, which is quite bad, into the same position. So you're like, um, you know, it's um, it, it's it's interesting to see. I, I just, if you tell me a team that I think is going to build out of the three that are left. Uh, sorry, Williams. Um, you between... forgot. Did you mention Force India? Oh, sorry, I didn't mention Force India, but uh, yeah. I don't see them improving at all from their current position. So they're just it's... middle of the road, aren't they, Force India? The, the, I think Force India start the season wherever they are, and they finish that season roughly wherever they are because the the the, the car just maintains a plateau. They very rarely peak and trough mm. or anything like that. Um, but if you if you look at the three teams that who I think then really follow after those teams being McLaren, Sauber and Toro Rosso, which team can really put together a um a progressive car or like development wise do you mean? Yeah, I, I just feel that if McLaren have a McLaren have the chance to turn that car to being okay um from where it is, in which case it's got the Renault engine in it which clearly is, you know, good enough for the Renaults and pretty pretty well good for the Red Bulls. Um, I I kind of feel like... Um, I kind of feel like you've got to put faith in, in the team as big as McLaren with all of that racing knowledge um, to be able to turn it around with, with the people they've got at hand to be able to develop in season while still looking ahead. Um, and I wonder how far ahead Toro Rosso and uh, Sauber start looking towards next year, understanding where they are in the championship. I, I guess Sauber probably looked more to this year than they probably did at the start of the season, um, given where they are. But that, that's kind of my thing. Disagree with me, guys. Tell me, tell me who you think really, um, really, really comes next. I mean, 
if you're if you're if you're going over Force India as before McLaren, then McLaren definitely come come next. I mean, for me, the the, the debate is between McLaren and Force India as to who would go ahead of those two. I think Force India will probably just about maybe edge that, but McLaren with Alonso, he has the ability to just pop up with a seventh when it doesn't look even remotely possible, which is what's keeping them close enough to the Force India and the Haas in terms of pure points. If you want to you know, accept where Force India are and say that that's just where they are and that's where they're going to stay, which is probably accurate, then McLaren versus Toro Rosso and Sauber, yeah, you, 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 know, you have to think McLaren. I'd be disappointed if McLaren didn't finish considerably higher in the championship than the two sides. As fun as it's been to see Leclerc and Alonso scrapping it out, I think, obviously, the Cyber's got the Ferrari engine and McLaren's got the Renault engine. I think, clearly, that's, that's helped Cyber make some significant gains on, on McLaren. But ultimately, from a whole package point of view, that McLaren should be, you know, the resources that they've got, they should be, you know, comfortably ahead of Sauber over the long, the long-term season. I would have thought so. The Toro Rosso has to battle the Honda engine. Um, it's an interesting little dynamic you've got there because you've got a McLaren Renault engine, a Toro Rosso Honda engine, and a Sauber Ferrari engine. So you've got three different engines there battling it out all in pretty rubbishy cars. So. It'd be interesting to see who, you know, race by race, how how they fight with each other. But McLaren have way too much resources and too much, you know, too much history and too good a driving talent. Even Stoffel, but predominantly Alonso, they 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 should be, they should be comfortably ahead of those two teams, shouldn't they? I've, I would have thought so, but <laughs> I think so. Eh? McLaren are helped this year by the fact that they don't have to focus on trying to help Honda all the time. They've just got mm. a good engine, well, a better engine in Renault, so they can use their resources on their own team rather than spending time worrying about what their engine's doing. I mean, even if you look at the actual results here, I mean, Alonso, eighth in Silverstone. That McLaren probably shouldn't be ahead of the Haas or the Force India on pace, maybe. Yeah, yeah, he was because he's Fernando Alonso, and we say it every week. You know, he's he's dragging that car to results that that shouldn't really shouldn't really be there. Was it was it Austria where he said, "Oh, you know, what's the point? We're at the back of the field," and then he still finished in eighth. You know, still finished eighth. Two point, uh, you know, however many points you get for eighth, four points, whatever it is. You know, he's just he finds a way of getting results where where they don't seem possible. And as long as they've got him, they will finish higher up than the car probably deserves. If he goes, then it's a different ballgame. But until, until Fernando Alonso isn't driving that car, it's still, going to get, it's still going to get results. And I guess uh, Boulier going... Oh, yeah, of course. Interesting. That was move that. a bit weird. A bit sudden, wasn't it? That was the weird thing for me, and and his role is not really, um, his role is not really like one that really determines how good or bad that car is. Um, he in essence sits as that that sort of um, it's not really team principal. He doesn't really sit there doing that. He's much more in charge of the race day stuff, and other people were really in charge of what goes on at 
the factory and the and the the, the way that the car's designed. So I feel like he was made a bit of a fool guy. Um, he was the easy person to get rid of because because you know obviously um, you know um, he uh, he's leading the team and he you know he's the, he's essentially Ron um, in in a lot of ways and he was never going to go. Um, I think the people that they've placed in, I don't know how much faith I have in them particularly. Uh, Gilles Defarin has no pedigree in Formula One that I can really see. Uh, Andrea Stella obviously does, so it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that it's a short-term pick-everybody-up move, you know, um, to to get him to, to resign. Um, but I don't think that's ultimately the big problem. Did you, is that what you guys kind of feel, that maybe, you know, Getting rid of Uli isn't going to solve it, but it makes everybody at the factory go, oh, well, you know, at least they've got of, rid of one thing that we think is a problem, giving us Freddos, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to, certainly not going to make any major difference, is it, at the moment? The problems with the the, the guys that are designing the car, the aeros, the, the packaging, and everything that goes into building a Formula One car, you know, Eric Bully isn't doing that, is he? So changing him isn't going to make all that much of a difference. Yeah, I agree. It's just like painting over mould. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I think Eric Bullier was a particularly wonderful uh, race day team leader, but, you know, he's certainly not the issue in in McLaren, I don't think. He was never that problematic either, though. No, uh, I think I think the problem is that he's not he's not very McLaren. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I know we've kind of had Ron, you know, uh, for. For, for a long time and, and obviously Ron wasn't necessarily anything but he was a force do you know what I mean a real strong personality and Boulay never quite had that same sort of thing and it does seem to be the fate that if you can't you know if you can't chuck your weight around really in the F1 paddock it, it um it it, it kind of it gets easier to be steamrolled by the machine of racing. I can see what you're saying. Because if you think back to Martin Whitmarsh, he always seemed to be the scapegoat for whenever things didn't work out. And I'd probably put him in that second category of, of bullying, of not being that, you know, in your face bolshiness that, that obviously Ron Dennis was and it did kind of feel like when Whitmarsh was there that he was always being compared to, to Dennis and because he was a different sort of personality it never really seemed to stick with him and, and maybe maybe you're right maybe bullies uh, suffered similarly
So, if I've pressured you into making McLaren the next best team, <laughs> I think they have to be. Come on, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> are we pretty much sure that Sauber's the next team after them? Mm, they're certainly making strides. Certainly making strides. That Toro Rosso, as we all know, can pop up with the odd result here and there, which maybe masks their general performance of the car, perhaps. Where Sauber seem to be getting a little bit more consistent. Um, consistently, you know, if they're not nicking that point or two points, they're, you know, they're not far away. They're 11th and 12th. You know, they're in the hunt for it. Whereas Toro Rosso still seem to be, you know, a solid top 10 car or nowhere. But yeah, like, I like I like the way that Sauber's heading. It's definitely heading in the right direction. Helped, of course, by Leclerc. Who well, we need to talk about Charles Leclerc, don't we? He's just every week he's impressing more and more, and putting some serious pressure on Kimi Raikkonen. Simple as that. What do what what's your feeling with the the driver lineup at, at, at Sauber, Nikki? How long can they they go with those two drivers, do you think, for opposite reasons? I wouldn't be surprised if next year it's a different lineup completely. I think um, Sabah have got to a point now where they maybe don't need Ericsson's money as much. And compared to Leclerc this year, he hasn't been that impressive. He's had a few points finishes, but I think the need a more consistently good driver in that car than Ericsson is. He he does his job okay, but he's not like, he's not a standout driver. I I never see him moving up the grid to another team. You know what I mean? I've got a feeling Ericsson will still be there. Whilst I do do agree uh, with with your assessment of his ability, Nicky, 100%, you're correct. But I just have this, I guess, you know, intangible feeling that he's going to be there next year. I think Leclerc probably goes to Ferrari. I mean, we've been sort of saying it more and more every week. Um, the, the more it looks as if that could seriously happen now. So, I, if that does happen, will they want to upheaval two drivers in one one season? I think Ericsson might just get away with it and get one more year. I've just got this. This hunchy stickability in F1 has been unparalleled so far in his career. His ability to remain in a seat beyond most others, where most other mortal men would fail, has been superb. So I just, at this time, my my gut would be that he'll stay and Leclerc will will go in the Ferrari. And then who comes in at at Sauber as the as the next seat? Um, I'm not sure. It, should should Sauber be aiming for more than they're getting right now? Is, is that a is that reasonable to to look at them and say they should be looking towards Haas and Renault? Definitely. I mean, I mean, they should probably be looking at McLaren at the moment because of where they are. But ignoring that, should they be looking that high up the grid? I mean, long term, I think there's no reason why they shouldn't be competing week in week out with Toro Rosso, Williams, Haas, Force India. Depending on if McLaren can get his act together, they expect McLaren to be further up. But but in general, you know, the, just on pure budgets alone and things like that in history, like McLaren, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, Renault, you would think should be sort of the the, the the tier one class, and then 
Haas, Force India, Sauber, Toro Rosso would be the second tier class. And then Williams are kind of floating in a team with historic pedigree, but with no budget or ability to progress. So, yeah, there's no reason why um, Sauber shouldn't be competing week in, week out with with those guys that I mentioned, uh, all of all of the midfield. Um, and at the moment, McLaren, but perhaps McLaren will be able to to move forward, hopefully. We've been saying that for, you know, how many years now? But, yeah, um, based on the support that, you know, Cyber are starting to receive from Ferrari and things like that, then they should be looking at next season competing properly week in, week out with... Uh, with certainly Force India and uh, and Haas, that should be where that should be where their aim is. If you go in as team principal, team that's that that should be right. This is where we want to be. You know, realistic expectations. They're not going to be mm-hmm. challenging for podiums here, but they can they can compete with Force India for seventh and eighth and you know things like that. So, or they should be able to aim for that. Otherwise, what's the point? They've been helped this year massively by the fact that Leclerc has come in and done, you know, almost like Alonso-esque, dragging a car sort of to beyond where you would expect it to be levels. You know, he's come in here and he's looked immediately like the next the next superstar. So that's helped them. The you know they've benefited from that. Whether they when they change the driver lineup next year, whether. They can continue to progress. I hope so. They should. If the, the backing of Ferrari is everything, this team really. If they, if Ferrari continue to back them, there's no reason why they can't be on the same level of Haas. If Ferrari don't continue to back them, then they'll slide to the to the bottom of the pack again. It, it, it's really that simple with Sauber. They are they are a Ferrari B team in all but name, really, aren't they? Yeah, and I guess that's the that's the next stage in their adventure, isn't it? Is is whether they um, become like a Toro Rosso B, B team or whether they remain as a slightly more independent Ferrari B team in a kind of Haas vein, but take, um, but take more, oh, uh, more resource from Ferrari than, than Haas do. Like Haas are a team who buy a load of stuff from Ferrari, but that's kind of it. There is a relationship, but that's it's it's um it's not um it, they're 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 not tied into them in the same way that you know like a works customer sort of relationship in the in that way. Whereas Sauber with the Alfa Romeo tag seem to be more mm-hmm. like you will probably see people from Ferrari slide over to there. There will be you know a subtle passing of um of details um you know between the two teams to push Sauber forward to give them a sort of proper junior team status maybe so that the car's much more competitive to allow them to really assess the talent of the drivers that are probably going to end up in those seats um i forgot where i was going with this point sorry <laughs> um Ferrari support crucial, I think. Yeah, I think that's it, really. In the same way that, and well, I was going to say in the same way that Toro Rosso 
relies on Red Bull support, but it's not even support there. It's it's they they literally own the team. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe the the next step for Cyber is to just officially be, you know, a B team. Yeah. Speak. Then we go to I guess who is the actual B team on the on the grid? Toro Rosso. Uh, I don't really know what to make of Toro Rosso. Um, I think I like Gasly a lot. Um, I think Brendan Hartley is getting a little bit hard done by. Um, it always seems to be happening to him if it's going to happen to anybody in that team. Um, but the Honda engine doesn't seem to be doing it really. Um, surprise! And, surprise! Well, yeah. <laughs> Are we surprised? It's, it's broken. It's broken down more than any other ones. And although people are trying to pass that off as them saying that they've replaced parts early when they didn't have to to try and get new parts in. It still doesn't do you any, you know, it still doesn't confirm to me. Um, it, it doesn't confirm to me in any way, shape or form that it looks like it's been a really good swap for Toro Rosso, other than it's probably cheaper. Uh, what can they do for the rest of the season? They They did nothing across all three of these races. Are we happy to kind of say that, really? Yeah, a mixture of DNFs and crashes and mechanicals. But yeah, I don't think they scored a point, did they? Nope. Uh, no. And that, so, and so, that yeah, feels to me like the Toro Rosso we know and love in a way. Do you know what I mean? That qualifies as nothing, certainly. Not scoring a point anyway. So um, yeah, it'll pop up probably with a, a fifth somewhere or something like that. It, feel, it still feels like they're capable of sticking a result like that in there now and again. However, maybe we're starting to see... They had a couple of good results at the start of the season, but maybe we're starting to see the the teams that are running the Ferrari and the Mercedes engine just, you know, develop past them a little bit, whereas the Honda, the Honda can't, can't go. Like the, the Haas, the Force India, um, and even the Renault, they're all developing these engines and maybe that maybe the Honda can't just can't quite keep up pace with that with that development. And then you've got Williams running the the Mercedes. So you've got no idea I mean God knows what their problem is if they can't if they can't, you know, out develop the Honda. But um yeah. They're just stagnating a little bit, Toro Rosso. Is that is it is that a do we care? Is it a problem for them? This is the point with the B team. It's like, are Red Bull even bothered if they don't score any points as long as like the likes of Gasly, who's potentially their next guy, he's there to get experience. That's what he's there for. He's getting experience weekend, weekend out in a, in a Grand Prix car. Does it matter if he comes ninth or 12th at the end of the day? It's an odd one, isn't it? A from, a, from a Red Bull point of view and from a Toro, does it matter? If they're if they're, if they're scoring points or not, as long as their purpose is to to develop their junior drivers, I d- I just wonder if this year they're more interested in about developing the Honda engine than the drivers. Possibly, yeah. But it's it's weird because they they finished fourth in Bahrain, and we kind of thought, oh, the Honda engine's finally good, and then since then they've only scored a handful of times. And in all but one of the races, they've had at least one DNF. <laughs> so, how much progress is 
her engine actually making in that car. Because from looking at the results, it doesn't look like it's making that much progress. That's what I'm saying. Like the like the teams that are running the Ferrari and to be comfortably out, you know, out progressing them. Except for Williams. <laughs> uh-huh. Why? Well, why is that? Somebody yeah. tell me why that is. Jacques Villeneuve said. <laughs> I was that's, literally just going to say exactly that. That's that's not what I want to hear. I don't want anybody to open with Jack Villeneuve said. <laughs> that doesn't fill me with any confidence. Go on, oh, Jack what Villeneuve. Does, you what did say? A corker. Go on, Nicky. You do. You, you do this. You can start a sentence with Jack Villeneuve said. You could end the sentence <laughs> literally anything. And it's like a meme, facts. isn't it? Like a Chuck Norris facts. Jack Villeneuve said. <laughs> what did he say? Well, I think the quote was that, that Williams is dead, basically. <laughs> okay. Cool. He, he can't see your way back for them. I mean, it isn't good. It clearly isn't good. But they, they were this bad, um, like in 2011, I think, roughly. There was a little brief spell um, where they were this bad. Uh, so it has, they have hit this, these dips before and, and managed to come back from it, you know, with with the Mercedes engine and the, the hybrid era. So, you know, well, things can change pretty quickly in F1. All it takes is something to be developed and and, and, and quickly they could they could find some some pace. Not saying this season, but, you know, next season or in two years' time, it's you can't say that they're dead. But clearly something isn't working. I do think Williams are the team who... And I think I've said this before, but I don't. I don't think they could do themselves any harm by trying and finding a different engine supplier, like a completely like Cosworth or someone. Yeah, yeah. And getting them into the sport again. Yep, and then building the whole car around that. You know? Yeah, because I think that's something Andrew think, said a few times. The <laughs> they're not going to move up the grid with that, with the same engine in every year. Like the car clearly isn't that great. So yeah. it feels like it's the same car every season. That's the problem. Yeah, and, and they've just gone backwards and they've made no development. And everybody else has outstripped them. That's what it feels like. It feels like that car is the exact same car in 2014 that Massa was driving. And now everybody else is just quicker. It's weird. It's like they've literally done no development for four seasons. Apart from the back of the bottom of the car seems a bit more black now than it did <laughs> maybe they haven't done any development you know like that because it certainly feels that way um yeah i, I totally get what you're saying like we, we you know, mentioned it a few times with when mclaren took the punt on honda and things like that like when you've got a mercedes engine in the back of the car and you're you're bowing to them and how they want to do things it might at, at this point for williams like clearly the mercedes engine isn't giving them anything over any of the other teams anymore. So would it be that big a deal to take a punt on someone else? I, I, I think I'm inclined to agree with you. If you were Force India and you had something a little bit more to lose, a solid midfield foot in, they're scoring points most weeks, they're probably going to be fifth. Good prize money for coming fifth in the constructors, all that kind of thing. Grass might not necessarily be greener for, for jumping ship, but with Williams, with the Mercedes engine, there's nothing left to lose, is there? Let's be honest, yeah. They're getting outscored by the cyber now. 
Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I think the problem that Williams have got is there's almost nowhere to start, is there? Um, where where do you get rid of people? Do you, do you have to literally start from Claire Williams down and pretty much gut the team, rebuild the car from absolute nothing up? And if you do, can Williams even afford to do that? I mean, you probably do have to do that, whether they can afford to. Probably not. And that's the problem. And that's why they're in the situation they're in. It's interesting that Paddy Lowe went there, coming out of the championship winning Mercedes to go to Williams. And it's been all backwards since. Not that I'm blaming Paddy Lowe, because he's just a spoke on the wheel. But it's just an interesting, you know, little footnote that, that under his sort of leadership, they've They've not they've not done well. Does he have to go? Maybe. Does Claire Williams have to go? Probably. It's such a that's such a weird thing, isn't it? Sort of you assume ousted from Mercedes, don't you, in that in that situation. But it felt like he chose to go to to it Williams, did, yeah. didn't it? Like he probably could have gone to most other teams, really, if he'd stuck around. I would got have Rob... that most teams would have would have made space for him somewhere within the hierarchy. They got Rob Smedley in there as well, another guy who's you know well respected. So this is a team full of decent people. I just can't understand what's going wrong. <laughs> Other than is it just pure budget? Can they just not put anything on that car? Is that what it is? Somebody, somebody like, tell me. Sh- Nicky, tell me. Sh- short of <laughs> sticking afterburners on the back of it, I don't know what you could stick on that car, realistically. Open invite to Jack. Machine Wheeler. guns. You could stick machine guns on the on the front wing so that they can mow down the cars in front and then they'd have a chance of winning a race. Let's get Villeneuve on. He'll tell us. Yeah, open invite. On you come, Jack, and tell us what's gone wrong at Williams. We'll that give you the platform. The podcast. We'll give you the platform to speak your substantial mind um i don't know what the problem is for williams i don't want to see guys like paddy Lowe and rob smedley like unceremoniously dumped onto the formula one scrap heap because they're running a team into the ground but that is what's happening here i like all three of those people and i want them all to be successful but it's obviously not working so what do we do I don't know. I think the moment you need to take it out back with a shotgun and put it out of its misery. Like they've yeah. got Martini as a title sponsor. Like that's not. Wasn't there ne- talk of that being under some jeopardy though? Oh, well, it wouldn't surprise me with your Martini. Yeah, why would you want to be? Sorry, Nicky, go ahead. I said it ends at the end of this year. Yeah, they have got a title sponsor next year, which uh, isn't great. <laughs> But like that's what like they did they have had for three years. So I mean I don't know what the deal's worth or anything, but Martini aren't exactly a Mickey Mouse company. They must be putting you know a decent bit of cash their way. You know, that's a that's a pretty decent sponsor, proper proper big company. So where's it all going? What are they doing with it? You know? Sergey Sorokin must be bringing money in. Lance Stroll must be bringing money in. Guys aren't in Formula One. Canadian money, Russian money. They're there because of the money they're bringing. So where's it going? What are they doing with it? Somebody tell me. I'm having a breakdown. <laughs> I'm having a Williams breakdown again. <laughs> How much does that red and blue paint cost? <laughs> it's just madness. 
And the car is mostly white as well, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like the, <laughs> the most basic colour you could make out of with a couple of stripes of paint. It really does feel like they are trying to save money everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't look like getting any better this season. No. And no, and or, or, or any time. It's just... Right. Let's... We, we've actually kind of skipped somebody here, haven't we, really? Um, Force India. Yeah, because they're middle of the road, aren't they? As we sort of alluded to earlier, anonymous really haven't they been at, at, at all of this in this triple header that we're covering? It... They have, but they've scored doubles points finishes in uh, Britain and Austria, and only didn't score in France because they didn't finish. Yeah, because they didn't finish. So that's pretty good. Two double points finishes back to back. Can't argue with that. They're definitely improving compared to the start of the season. Seems to have got off the mark a bit now, but they're certainly yeah, not as good uh, as they have been. No, no, we had the the like Baku, wasn't it? Was their sort of um, pièce de résistance so far this season, and then after that, pretty much nothing. Ocon seems to. Uh, have got the measure of Perez. I think that seems to be the my overriding feeling at the moment that actually Perez is behind Ocon, yeah. and Ocon is probably pushing himself to be more the um, the person that's going to make things happen in and around certain driver's seats potentially. Um, I, I would agree. So, sorry, Nicky, go. Ocon's beaten uh, Perez in qualifying in every race since Azerbaijan. Yeah, I was just about to say something similar, like. He's clearly got his measure in qualifying, and I, I agree that like, he does seem to be the guy who's sort of driving the team forward. But there's only a point in between them and the and the championships and uh, the and the drivers' championship. So is he looking good in qualifying, and then maybe Perez getting back at him in, in the races? Maybe is that is that what's happening? And so if you just look at the, the raw pace in qualifying, you think, oh, Ocon, he's he's really laying it down to Perez. But then Sergio's, you know. A bit of a wily old fox these days, and still seems to be picking up quite a lot of points. So, uh, as you rightly pointed out earlier, nothing, nothing to worry about with Force India. They just they are where they are. <laughs> they're they're literally middle of the pack. But I think that's I think there's something to work with there. Two, two um back to back points finishes is is clearly good for for any of the midfield teams. They'd all be happy with that. So. That shocking silence pretty much says it all about Force India, who we <laughs> probably were a couple of seasons ago talking about being potentially sort of best of the rest. Um, did, did Does anybody feel that, that Malia going might, you know, be a, a a route to pushing themselves forward? We keep on hearing that there's lots of interested parties about buying the team, but it doesn't seem to happen. If they get investment, um, for sure, they, they, they certainly have have the people and the the things in place to, to push on, but uh, it, it, it comes with money, ultimately, doesn't it? If they get the investment, sure. If they don't, then stagnation. As, 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 um, as, with, as with Williams, really, you know. They are, they are probably the closest, the, the, the team on the grid with the closest situation 
to Williams. You know, McLaren are a sort of historic team with a big budget. I saw Williams, but they've they've got no budget, do they? So I don't know. I think uh, <laughs> Williams and Force India are definitely in a similar boat. But, yeah. Um, Force India weathering the storm better at the moment. Do you think that's because they're being run better from the top? I don't know. It, it, it must be. Why? Why else would it be that they're so far ahead of Williams? But they're an interesting comparison because they have the same engine and car. You know, yeah. they're both fairly. You know, have they both have a difficult time drumming up massive amounts of investment? Yet one can't seem to score a point, and the others are consistently, you know, doing quite well. So it is interesting. If you're Claire Williams, you look. Force India garage, and you must be going. Well, what are they doing that we're not doing, and why are we not doing it? That that has to be the benchmark for for those two teams. Obviously, and like Sauber, Toro is slightly different because, as we've already talked about, they're they're obviously looking to be junior teams of of the big guns, and Renault have aspirations of of being a big gun. So they're slightly different. But before Cindy and Williams. They must be, they're the two that need to be compared. And clearly, one is outperforming the other. I wonder, it'd be interesting to understand what that BWT sponsorship means to them. Yeah. I mean, it means, it means enough to make their car and the driver's helmets pink. Do you know what I mean? Which, that whole sort of colour coordination thing suggests that it's, it's incredibly important to the team. But I wonder how much, you know, how... What was it McLaren said that they thought that a title sponsor should be worth $120 million Or something? No. No, it wasn't. No, so that's what it takes to run the team, doesn't it? The, the base of the team. But it had to be some ridiculous amount of their racing budget for a year. So it's got to be into tens of millions, you wouldn't have thought. Which seems an awful lot for a... They make water, don't they? Yeah, bottled water. Well, they don't make water, do they? They, they put it in bottles. <laughs> they don't actually make the water. They slam, slam the hydrogen and the, the two oxygen atoms together at a plant somewhere. Um, uh, that in itself... Uh, is, is, hmm. I guess you take those the, the three teams that you compare those things to is McLaren, Force India, and Williams, and, and look at how the, those... Those teams do their business. McLaren is never short of funds, but can't find a title sponsor. Williams seems to have no money, uh, but has one big main title sponsor in Martini. And Force India seem to be somewhere in the middle, and that they've got some money and a title sponsor, but still don't have the resources of either of the other two teams. So this is kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's curious, isn't it? It's a very curious situation. But I, th- I think long term. Even though they haven't got a title sponsor yet, McLaren are in the best best position of those three teams. Oh, for sure, yeah. Their road car side of things has certainly helped. If they didn't have that, then they'd be Williams right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Which is a little bit of a sad indictment on you know modern Formula One, two historic teams struggling. But it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um... I don't think we can. I don't think we can have a situation where the FIA is coming in to help bail out teams 
or no. anything like that. It just be it's a slippery, slippery slope of, of those yeah. pieces. I, I think they can make the the what Liberty are doing with the prize money and trying to make it more equal and uh, and all of those bits and pieces. Absolutely, and, and trying to find ways to to save costs that don't affect the rest. All of that I think is good, but they certainly can't be saving teams, can we? So no, no, absolutely not. Well, so going forward, what's next? I actually don't know what race is next. We've done three in a row, and now I don't know where the <laughs> hell we are. Back to Germany. Um, oh, Hockenheim. Oh, was it Germany? Last time as well, isn't it? Because it's not on the calendar next year. No. I, d- I think as well it doesn't have a contract for the year after like it has done in the past. Uh, okay. So it could be I hate the one. new Hockenheim, to be honest. I won't, <laughs> I won't be that sad to see it go. <laughs> I if love... you ever, red button topic is the is Hockenheim and Sean like every single time he has to tell us tell us all about how much he loves it. Love it, <laughs> love the old one, hate the new one. Get rid of nah. I'd, I, honestly, I'd, I'd maybe rather go back to Nurburgring actually of the two. But um, yeah, cool. Hopefully, home Grand Prix victory for the championship leader. Then that be. Who do we fancy? Ferrari and Mercedes think it'll be close between the two again? Uh, yeah. I never really know what to think of Hockenheim. I have no idea what kind of car it really suits. Um, if you don't go there that often, it's difficult. No. I'm, I'm going to guess Ferrari. I just If the weather continues like it seems to be, it yeah. feels like that's going to play into their hands a little bit. Yeah, I think it'll be hot. I agree. It'll be hot. Track temperature will be high. I think Ferrari will probably suit. I think so, and I hope so. Cool. Well, <laughs> I think that I think that takes us. Uh, we've been talking for nearly two hours, so I think come on, let's. Uh, it was inevitable with a triple header. Well, to, uh, yeah, to digest. I, I had to give us the time to do it, but uh, if I, if we we probably could talk for another two if we just keep on talking about things that pop into our heads. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do the old clapperboard and say cut. This is this is it. Uh, so, thank you very much to Nikki Holdenby for joining us. Um, as always, been great to have you on, and certainly thank really helpful me. to have you uh, digest all of this Formula One stuff going on. Uh, tell the nice people where they can find you and or what you do if you want. He's surely famous by now, isn't he? Uh, the rock star that we all know him to be is. Uh, uh, I'm Still sure he's going to be. <laughs> So no, not, no dates at Wembley yet, is that not the... No, not, not quite, no. Outside of, outside of Wembley with a guitar, possibly, is that... <laughs> <laughs> Wembley <Anyway>. tube stage. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Nicky Holdenby, or uh, at Lights Out of Fun Blog, and you can find my writing on lightsoutblog.com and on badgergp.com. I think that's all the plugs, isn't it? Pretty much, I think so. Uh, thank you very much to Sean as well, as always, for, for sticking with the, with us through it all and, and <laughs> giving his opinion and, and, and helping me stay on track and reminding me what where the heck we are with stuff. Um, always fun, mate. Always fun. Always good. Uh, we will see you after Germany. Um, so thank you again, uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, we will see you then. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.